Now, continuing with the spirit of volunteerism that Vern has uh, stirred up this morning, uh, who here would be willing to come and preach the sermon? I'll, I'll even leave my notes here for you. It'll, it'll be fine. Anyone? Any takers on that? Okay. I was just checking. I thought I'd keep it going, but it is, it is so wonderful to be here this morning and wonderful to see the participation in our worship this, this morning. Thank you, Vern, for leading us in that. Thank you. Uh, Paul, wherever you are, for leading us in song as well. And uh, thank you uh, also to the, the PA techs in the back who are making everything work perfectly this morning. Good job, guys. <laughs> thank you. This morning, the word that we are looking at is one that is as applicable as the first day it was written. And it's something that we need to hear today, I believe. And so as we prepare to enter God's word... Would you bow with me and let's pray. Father God, I come before you this morning in the same way that that Peter looked out to you from the boat and we see you walking on the water. That is so often how we feel, Lord. We see you doing the impossible, saying all things are possible, saying I can do the impossible, and then you say join me. Participate with me in this divine impossibility. And yet, Lord, we, in our humanness, in our weakness, we sit in the boat. And we stay in the boat because we're afraid. We're afraid because we don't know if if we can do it. We don't know if we want to do it. And the worst case scenario, what if we drown? And so, Lord, so often we stay where it's safe when you've called us out into something greater. And so, Lord, this morning as we hear from your word again, I pray that we would not just stay in the boat, but that we would hear clearly from your word and that we would step out in faith and to put it into action and to what you are calling each one of us to do individually in our own lives as well as corporately in the life of this church. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me. Give me the word, the power, and the spirit to speak this word the way you would have me. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll begin this morning with a story of a, a little girl. She was sitting in a confessional in a Catholic church. Probably if you've never experienced that, I have never personally experienced it, but chances are you know what I'm talking about because you've seen it in a movie or something like that, where they go in and say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, and, and they confess their sins. So this is the setting, and the little girl comes into the confessional. She sits down and she says, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. What is it, my child, came the priest's reply. Father, I have committed the sin of vanity. Twice a day I gaze at myself in the mirror and I tell myself how beautiful I am. The priest turned, took a good long look at the girl and then said, My dear, I have good news. This isn't a sin. It's only a terrible mistake. (laughs) Now... I truly hope that never actually happened. But if it did, can you tell that this priest isn't married? (laughs) That's just not something you would say. But it illustrates for us the reality this morning. It illustrates for us the reality that though there are many forms of deception, perhaps the most dangerous form of deception is self-deception. You see, it's one thing when someone deceives you. 
It's another thing when you deceive yourself. Now, it begs the question, why would someone ever choose to deceive themselves? You see, self-deception carries within it the implication that we sort of know what we're doing when we deceive ourselves. There is sort of a willingness of, I am going to turn a blind eye. I am going to choose to believe something rather than vetting it out. Even though there's part of me that knows this might not be true, I am going to choose to believe it. And self-deception is something that we all do in one way or another. But it begs the question, why would we ever choose to deceive ourselves? Why? Because like the girl, it's sometimes easier to believe a beautiful lie than it is to face the ugly truth. Isn't that true? We would rather believe a lie that's beautiful by all appearances, something that, that we would like to be true, we want it to be true, and so we tell ourselves it's true, rather than face the nagging suspicion that in fact it isn't true, and that the reality of what is true could be far less appealing. We would rather believe a beautiful lie than face the ugly truth. And this can happen not only in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm as well. In his letter to the Romans, Paul described people who had done exactly this. He describes people in chapter 1 as those who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They've done it willfully, knowingly. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And so God says, I've handed you over to it. I've handed you over to a depraved mind. And we could easily spend the rest of the morning dissecting the ways that our Canadian culture around us has done just that, exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And we could dive into all sorts of ways that we have done just that as a culture. But the Bible also points out that it's not just non-believers who do this. It's not just those in the outside who are deceiving themselves. It points out that Christians are fully capable of self-deception as well. I want you to listen to this. James chapter 1 the passage that was read for us earlier. Thank you for reading that, Rhonda. James chapter 1 and verse 22. He's speaking to Christians. We need to remember that the context of this passage is speaking to the church. And listen to what he says, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. The other translation was, or fool yourselves. That's another way of saying self-deception. You're fooling yourself. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Verse 26, he comes to it again. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his, his religion is worthless. So here we see at least two explicit examples given of how Christians can deceive themselves spiritually. The first example is they can fool themselves into thinking that nodding their head to a sermon is the same thing as actually putting its truth into practice in their daily lives. You see, there is a, a form of self-deception within Christianity that says giving intellectual agreement or assent to the truth is the same thing as practicing that truth. Now, of course, in order to practice a truth, we first have to agree to it, right? We have to agree that something's true before we're actually going to live it out. We're not going to say, yeah, what that guy was talking about on Sunday morning was a load of malarkey, but now I'm going to go and live it out. No, we're not going to do that, right? We're going to say, yeah, that was good, that was right, that was true. And that's going to do something inside of us that says, hey, how am I going to apply that in my marriage, with my kids, in my workplace? 
in the greater world around me. So, yes, we need to agree to the truth before we're going to live it out. But self-deception occurs when we stop there and we say, I've agreed to the truth, therefore I'm good. And God's word would say, no, just agreeing to it is the first step, but it's not the fullness of it. We must do what it says. Verse 26, he continues. Another example. They can fool themselves into thinking that an outward show of religious activity somehow excuses them from being reckless with their words, whether through coarse language, whether through gossip, slander, anger, or perhaps just simple thoughtlessness. He's giving an example here that someone who considers himself religious, pious, but doesn't keep a rein on their words, on their tongue, he goes so far as to say that their religion is worthless. So you could be the, the person who's in church every time the doors are open. You could be the one who's, who's diligent in all of the outward signs of, of religious activity. And yet, if you are gossiping about someone, if you are slandering someone, if you are the one who the rumor mill churns, you're the engine of the rumor mill, then James will go so far as to say that your religion is worthless. You are deceiving yourself because you are not living out what you profess to believe. And so what is at the core of both of these? What is underlying both of these self-deceptions is what I believe is the greatest self-deception that a Christian can make. And that is fooling themselves into believing that their walk with Jesus Christ is close, is intimate, is in step, when the reality is that it is not. In fact, they've deceived themselves into believing that Jesus is in their hip pocket, they're walking in step with him, when in fact Jesus is so far away from the daily reality of their life that they've all but lost sight of him. And now to be clear, this doesn't happen because Jesus leaves us. This invariably happens because little by little, we drift away from him. I want to focus your attention now on another verse from Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. It's on the front page of your bulletin if you missed it. It's our call to worship if you missed it. So I, I really want to emphasize this verse because It is drawing for us the heart of what I want to bring to your attention this morning. Here's what the author writes. We must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Now, are you paying careful attention this morning? How are you doing so far? Pay more careful attention. That's what the author is saying. Pay more careful attention. If you're paying attention... Focus that attention, sharpen that attention, because the truth that you are hearing, the truth that you are receiving, is something that we shouldn't just be flipping about. Just say, yeah, yeah, I've heard it before. Pay attention. Why? So that we do not drift away. Several years ago, a couple was on a vacation in Florida. And they decided that as you like to do on vacation, you like to relax. And so what they did was... They got some inflatable rafts at the beach. They set them out on the ocean, and they started to just relax. They put on their, they were all, got their their sunscreen on, and they were just relaxing. This was life. Their, Their stress and everything was just fading away. They were in the Caribbean. The sun is just bathing them, and they just feel amazing. They're soaking up that vitamin D, and after a little while, they fall asleep in the rubber raft. 
After a little while, the husband wakes up in his raft and he decides, oh boy, I've probably seen enough sunlight for one day. And so he begins to paddle into shore. But his wife had drifted out a little bit further in her raft. And after a short time, the woman lost herself in floating along in the raft, drifting away all of her stresses. And suddenly, what she failed to realize was that a subtle undercurrent had caught up underneath her raft Without noticing it, it was very rapidly shooting her out to sea. And there she was, relaxed, the current taking her with it, her situation becoming increasingly more dangerous moment by moment by moment, and she doesn't even realize it. By the time that she noticed what was happening, it was almost too late. When she finally saw that the shore was just in the distance, she began to scream, she panicked, she called for help, And thankfully, one of the lifeguards heard her screams. They got out in the sea dew, they went out, they rescued her, and they brought her back to shore. But the whole situation was created simply because she wasn't paying attention. And she carelessly drifted into an incredibly dangerous situation. And I wonder, how many people sitting in church pews this morning aren't in a similar position? just drifting along in their spiritual walk, not paying attention to how far from Jesus they've actually ended up. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. How many Christians have drifted to the point of losing their faith entirely because they stopped paying attention? How many here today are not where they should be in their walk with Christ because of lack of attention. Let me ask you, has there ever been a time when you were closer to Jesus, when you felt more an intimate connection, more in step with him than you are right now? When you look back on your life, was there a time where you know that you were more in step with your Lord and Savior than you are right now this moment? A time where you were more passionate for learning from him, A time where you were eager to spend time with him in prayer and study. Can you remember a time where you were eager to obey and just live your life fully, unabashedly, wholeheartedly for him? Now this might alarm you, but if you answered yes to any one of those questions, then you are in the process of drifting. If your relationship with Christ is not where it once was, or if it is not where you know it should be, you are drifting. Now that's the bad news, but the good news is that we can catch ourselves in our drift. We can look back and pay attention before it's too late. But before we begin looking at the process of how to do that, let me ask the question, why is it that we so easily drift? Because far from uh, preaching something in the abstract, I am preaching from personal experience. I know how incredibly easy it is to drift away from my daily walk with my Lord and Savior. It can begin with the smallest acts. It can, it can happen in such subtle ways that weeks can go by before I realize that, whoa, wait a second, I'm halfway out to sea and my Lord is over there. It can happen so quickly. So why does it happen? Well, there are a variety of reasons why people drift away from that closer walk with Jesus. The first is this, no depth. In the parable of the sower and the seed in Matthew chapter 13, 
verses 5 and 6. You can turn there if you like. You don't have to. I'm going to just read a couple of the verses for you when Jesus taught that parable. Verses 5 and 6, Jesus said, Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly, but because the soil was shallow, the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. And then skipping ahead to verse 21, Jesus explains this portion of the parable, and he says that since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So here we see that those who settle for a shallow relationship with Christ, those who don't have a deep root system, will never have what it takes to make it through the rough spots of life. Those times when the big waves come, and we're tested, and we're blown this way and that. Many Christians today have the spiritual depth of a mud puddle. And we think it's just fine to have this kind of spiritual life, but in reality, this is so far from what Jesus wants and desires of his disciples. The lack of spiritual depth will lead to nothing but a withered and anemic spiritual life that Jesus himself says won't endure. So this is one of the first reasons people drift, no depth. The second is distractions. Verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Jesus explains this again in verse 22. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. So let me ask you, what are the distractions in your life? We all have them. I have distractions, you have distractions. What are the things that keep you from spending time alone with Jesus in prayer? Is it TV, the newspaper, the kids, the weather report, the squirrel in the tree? What is it? We are all distracted so easily, some more than others. And here's the thing, the distractions themselves are not the real problem. Because no matter what, distractions will always be there. No matter how ruthlessly we try to eliminate distractions, if we want to be distracted, if we're easily distracted, we could be distracted by grass growing. We could be distracted by, is that pot of water going to boil? Right? It doesn't take very much for us to get distracted. So they're not the real problem. The real problem is when we allow the distractions to continually keep us from spending time with Jesus and keeping the relationship strong. You see, when the distractions come, do we, do we recognize what they are? Do we deal with them and then refocus, pay attention? Or do we allow the distractions to continuously derail our deeper walk with Jesus, whether that's keeping us from devotion, from prayer, from that time alone? It's very much like a marriage. Of course, not everyone's going to get this example, but those of you who are married will. In a marriage, it's incredibly easy to become so distracted by everything else going on in life, whether that's your job, your career, the kids, very easy to get distracted with the kids, with the kids' activities, with school activities, with church activities. There are piles of distractions that we can be working alongside our spouse. I can be doing stuff with Leanne, but not focusing on Leanne and almost forgetting about her entirely. It is so incredibly easy to have this happen. We're traveling the same road, but if left unattended for too long, the daily intimacy and closeness 
fades away with it. And so whether in your marriage or in your walk with Jesus, identify the distractions that are keeping you from spending daily quality time together. And then do whatever it takes to either remove those distractions, or if you can't remove them entirely, work around them. Recognize them for what they are. Put a a flag in the ground so that when those distractions come, you will instantly recognize, hey, here's a potential distraction, and I'm not going to let it work this time. So that's what we have to do identify and do what it takes to work around distractions. Thirdly, selfish desires. Selfish desires is the title I've put on all sorts of things that we would rather have than that commitment and self-discipline of actually spending time with our Lord every day. In James chapter 1, verse 14, he writes this, But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Our own desires. Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy wrote this famous story that you'll probably recognize. It's a story of a man who is dominated by the ruthless drive and desire for self-gratification. And for him, his self-gratification came in the form of land. He was a land baron. He could never get enough land. No matter how much of it he had, he always needed more. And so, one day, someone came along who promised him that he could own all of the land that he could walk around between sunrise and sunset on a given day. But there was one condition. He had to complete the loop in the given day by the time the sun went down. If he did not make it around the loop, By the time the sun went down, it didn't matter how many miles he walked, how many acres he'd covered. If he didn't arrive at the starting point, by the time the sun went down, he would lose it all and get no land. So he had to calculate very carefully, how far can I walk in a given day? How much energy do I have? And what can I do to maximize the amount of acres that I'm going to accumulate this day? And so he sets out. At first, he begins at pacing himself, a leisurely pace. However, driven by his ambition, he begins to accelerate. He begins walking, then jogging, then running. He sees the land before him, and his desire for more keeps calling him further. He gets to a point where he figures, I should probably turn here, but then he sees another hill and says, I'm going to go a little bit further. And so he goes further. He finally takes the corner. Now he realizes the sun is halfway up in the sky. How much more ground does he have to cover. He accelerates still further. He strips off his shirt, abandons his boots. He's covered in sweat. As the sun begins to shift further and further towards the west, he flings himself towards his final destination. He sees the mound of earth that was his starting point, where he had dug it as a marker. And as the sun is going down behind him, he realizes it's too late. But the man who had given him the offer was still looking at him. He realized that from his higher vantage point, he could still see the last rays of the sun. And so the man redoubles his efforts, gives the last ounce of his energy, and sprints towards that final point. Diving across the line, he makes it just in time. The land is his. All of those acres are now under his ownership. And as he collapsed on the ground, his heart stopped beating, and he died. The only land he received in the end was a grave, six feet long by two feet wide. Tolstoy's unforgettable story 
underlines the raging power of the drive for self-gratification. Our own desires so often keep us from desiring the fullness that can be experienced in Christ. And men and women every day die for their pleasures. And James wrote to churches that were being divided by pleasure-seeking members. Those who were putting their own desires ahead of those of Christ. Take note that James described our own sinful desires as being able to drag us away. And who do you suppose they are dragging us away from? They are dragging us away from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Even a well-educated, strong Christian is capable of being dragged away if they fail to recognize their sinful desires for what they truly are. When those who know Christ willingly choose to continue in their sin, self-gratification is their mantra. They do it in the full knowledge of his goodness and grace, and so they are deceiving themselves. And in this act of self-deception is an act of rebellion against the grace of Christ. And this is where a seemingly harmless drift is actually taking you into shark-infested waters. My friends, though our Lord Jesus is more merciful more gracious, more loving than we will ever know. When we knowingly swim with the sharks, sooner or later, you're going to get bit. When we knowingly choose the path of self-gratification, following our own evil desires over the desires of Christ for our lives, we are swimming with the sharks, and sooner or later, they are going to bite And too many Christians forget that though God's grace is greater, it truly is, it is greater than our greatest sin, there are still consequences for our actions. And we often fool ourselves into believing that we live under grace so everything is taken care of and we can live how we please, we can pursue self-gratification and God will be fine with it. But make no mistake, God is clear on this issue. He loves sinners, but he hates sin. And when he deals with our sin, he no longer calls us sinners. He calls us saints. He calls us to a higher way of living. No longer saying, yeah, I'm I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace, but I'm still a sinner, so I'm going to keep sinning. No, he says, when you're covered by grace, I call you a saint. Live in my kingdom like my child. Live the higher plane with a daily walk with Jesus Christ. Leave that old life behind. Be a reflection of my glory. This is what we are called to. But how can we reflect his glory if we've drifted away from his light? How can we shine a light to others when our own sinful desires have placed a barrier between us and him? And the reality is that we can't. We can't reflect his glory if we are not near his glory in order to reflect it. So what do we do about drifting? We've looked at some of the ways that people do drift. And I assume that you've either thought of other people, you've probably, it's probably touched on places in your life in the past where you recognize you drifted. Maybe it's hitting home right now that you recognize something in yourself that you're seeing yourself as being in a position of drift. So what do we do about it? First, we need to recognize our position. We need to recognize. You will never be able to embrace the change of God You will never be able to fully follow his way until you recognize your personal need for him. So don't even try faking it. 
Don't try adding on another layer of religious activity. That's not what this is about. Don't try faking it. Instead, focus on getting back into an honest, intimate, and humble walk with Jesus every day. This is not something that involves you and anyone else. This only involves you and Jesus. And this is all on you. How, mu- how bad do you want it? How bad do you desire Jesus over your desire for the things of this world and your desire for self-gratification? You have to desire it because no one else can desire him for you. I can tell you that Jesus is beautiful. I can tell you that spending time with him is rewarding. I can tell you how wonderful it is when you know that you're in step with him and he's saying, hey, tag along with me today. I got things to show you. I got things I want to do, do through you and in you. It's exciting. I can tell you all of that, but I can't make you desire it. You have to desire him for yourself. That is where it begins. You have to recognize your position and you have to desire a simple and daily walk with Jesus. Because you see, you will never be able to overcome lack of depth, distractions, or selfish desires on your own. But the good news is you don't have to. Jesus already defeated every last one of those, and he defeated Satan himself when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. So if you recognize today that you've drifted from Jesus, don't think that it's up to you to swim back to the shore. Just call out to him, and you'll find out that he's the one swimming to you. Actually, make that, he's the one walking to you, as we saw in the video. This is the power of God. We don't have to, by our own effort, get back to him. We just need to recognize where we're at, call out, and he is the one who will do the rescue. And just like when Jesus extended his hand to Peter, he will extend his hand to you, saying, Where is your faith? Trust me, follow me, and I will give you the power to walk with me every day. That's the first thing, recognize. Secondly, remember. Remember, in Revelation 2, verse 4, Jesus warned the church in Ephesus like this. He says, you have forsaken your first love. In other words, he's saying, you have drifted away. You have forsaken your first love. You once were passionate about me. You desired me. You were walking with me, but you've forsaken it. You've drifted away. And in the the verses leading up to that, he says, I know your good deeds. All of the outward signs of your religious life and activity are bang on. You're feeding the poor. You're you're taking care of, of the situations around you that you need to take care of. But you've drifted away from me. You've forsaken your first love. And then he says this, remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember. Have you drifted away from your first love with Jesus? If so, he says to you, remember, remember the time in your life when you were captured by his beauty, when you were washed by his love and grace for the first time. Remember what that felt like. Remember when you were thrilled with a passion to obey him and that euphoric feeling of saying, God can use someone like me? Little old me, he can use me? It's an amazing feeling. Do you remember that? Remember what Jesus has done for you and allow that remembrance to rekindle that love in your heart again. Remember. Thirdly, repent. In that same passage in Revelation 2 verse 5, Jesus continues his message to the church in Ephesus and he says, repent and do the things you did at first. Repent is, of course, a big church word that we throw around all the time, but it simply means repent is to turn away. Turn away from something and towards something else. 
So Jesus is saying, repent from this stagnant form of religion where you've forsaken your first love. Turn away from that and turn to me. Turn away from self-deception. Turn away from a shallow faith, from the distractions and the selfish desires. Turn your face from them and look at me. Look into Jesus' eyes and you will not see anger or condemnation or even disappointment. Look into Jesus' eyes and you will find nothing but compassion, kindness, and love. Turn away from the old way. Turn to Jesus. Repent and find in him a safe haven. Fourthly, return and do the things you did at first. The verse we just read, he said, repent and do the things you did at first. A few years ago, a freighter was sailing from Great Britain to the coast of France. And along the way across the English Channel, it experienced engine problems. In fact, the engines were not only having problems, they eventually seized up and failed completely just off the French coast. The ship began to drift at sea in one of the busiest sea lanes in the world. The problem on top of that was that the tides were pulling the ship towards the coastline, directly into the path of a rocky shoreline, that if they were pulled into it would inevitably cause the ship to crash, resulting in the loss of cargo, potentially the loss of life, and the loss of the entire ship. Thankfully, the Coast Guard was able to arrive just in time to take the ship into tow before it struck the rocks and avert disaster. It was later discovered that the cause of this situation was simple neglect of proper care of the engines. You see, the reason the engines had shut down was due to a lack of lubricant. Those in charge had simply forgotten to check the oil, and so they didn't realize it was running dry. And eventually it ran out altogether, the engine seized, and it left them adrift at sea. In the same way, when you or I neglect our spiritual walk, for even a short time. The oil that keeps your soul, your mind and spirit running in harmony with God and His Spirit, it eventually runs dry and we too begin to drift away. And so today, if you are not as close to Jesus as you've been in the past, if you're not at a place that you know you would want to be, then make things right today. Stop drifting and draw closer to Jesus. Stop drifting Recognize your situation and call out to him. Stop drifting and develop again that intimacy you long for with Christ. Return to the practices that helped you grow in the first place. Return to your daily devotions and prayer. Return to that simple awareness that Jesus is with you every moment of the day. There is not a moment that you will go through today where Jesus is not there with you. Recognize that right now. And in that moment where you're distracted or you're, you're looking at self-gratifications, remember, he's there. There is not a moment of your life that he is not present. Do the simple things like start every day with him. If you haven't connected with Jesus by the time you've left your house, chances are it won't just happen by accident in the activities of your day. So make that a priority in, you, in your, your life. Make it a habit. When you get up in the morning, sometime before you leave the house, have a daily time in prayer. Take time to be in his word through devotion. 
We have daily bread devotionals in the back. If you have an iPhone, there's a great app called the YouVersion Bible app. It's got all sorts of different devotional plans on it. They're, and they're free, by the way. All these things are free. We have resources. Incorporate these devotional things into your life. Seek times of praise and worship. Of course, that means church, but it doesn't mean only church. Incorporate times of worship in your personal life as well, whether through music, whether through being in creation, times where your spirit and soul is lifted up to God and you just worship him for who he is. Of course, do not neglect the fellowship of believers. Coming to church is so important. We need each other, not only to be served and filled, but also to serve others. Move from only listening to the truth and nodding your head in assent to living out the truth in daily practice. And in all of these things, we must stop deceiving ourselves and start paying careful attention to where our daily relationship with Christ really is. And then stop the drift before it's too late. Call out to Jesus and you will find out that he is right there, ready to reconnect with you today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are right here, right now. Each one of us, Lord, is in desperate need of you. And Lord, we are so weak. We are so easily distracted. We recognize, Lord, that we are so easily deceived, not only by others, but even by our own selves. And so, Lord, I pray that if by your Holy Spirit you have shown someone here today that they are drifting, I pray that right now you would infuse their heart with a deep desire to reconnect in a daily walk with you. And so, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would work within them to say, today is the day I am going to call out, and I'm going to do what it takes to reconnect, to get back to that daily walk, that humble walk and connection with you. For, Lord, that is the only place where we can do anything in this life that is pleasing to you, is in you and through you. So help us to reconnect to you today, to stop drifting, and to walk daily and humbly with you. Bless your people, Lord, as we walk with you today. In Jesus' name, amen.